You're listening to the TheoEd Podcast. In our Brief Talks episodes, you can hear the talks from all of our live events, plus additional talks only available virtually. On today's Brief Talks episode, we welcome Reverend Mihi Kim Court, Presbyterian minister and storyteller whose writings focus on issues ranging from Asian American feminist theology to the intersections of faith, family, and ministry. Her talk is entitled, Mother Tongue, Speaking and Naming Hope in God's Kingdom. I am not a linguist, I am not a philologist, but I am, as author Amy Tan has written in a beautiful essay titled, Mother Tongue, I love language, I'm fascinated by the daily use of language. I think a lot about the power of language, how it can evoke an emotion, how it can create a visual image, how it can express a complex idea, how it can convey a simple truth. Language is the tool of my trade, and I use them all, all the Englishes that I grew up with. I know a little something about all these Englishes. In 1979, I was born in Seoul, South Korea, and um, a year after I immigrated with my parents to the U.S., we had nothing but two suitcases. My parents, I remember, struggled from the get-go. And they would tell me these stories, but I remember growing up and seeing some of the conversations that they would have at the grocery store, at the gas station, these brief exchanges with what they would call Americans, i.e. mostly white people. And I would see the struggle on their faces. They were trying, trying really hard to communicate, despite encountering over and over again the exasperation, the frustration in the people they encountered on a regular basis. I would see them gesture with their hands. I would see them pull out dictionaries. And eventually, they got me to translate a little bit for them. They were really determined to embed themselves in this country. They really wanted to be American. And the way to become American is to learn English, and to learn it well, to learn proper English. In other words, not only do we need to learn English to be a part of us, be a part of you, to be a part of this country, we needed to find a way to make ourselves legible as, as lawful, as legitimate people residing in these great United States of America. In other words, it meant I needed to forego my mother tongue. I needed to forget my mother's tongue. I hold some regret for skipping out on Korean language school. It's called Hangul Hakyo, and it's usually housed in the local Korean immigrant church. So every Saturday, children of immigrant Korean parents would gather, and it was a way to, to continue to cultivate and sustain a connection to the language and the culture. I wouldn't have it. 
And I decided this summer that I would take Korean too. Had a great time. I'm now in Korean 3. And I'm using it, I hope, as a potential research language. I'm a doctoral student in religious studies at Indiana University. I'm hoping to do something around a religious literary history of uh, the canon of Asian American literature we have right now. But mostly, I just want to watch a lot of Korean drama. <laughs> I didn't realize that learning a language would be like entering into a hornet's nest and having the constant chaotic sound of that nest be your mental state. I basically walk around all day conjugating verbs to myself. If anyone has learned or spent any time with a language, you know what I'm describing here. Learning a language is hard. But this has been incredibly important to me. I remember moments, especially this summer, because we would spend four hours in class every day, I would hear a phrase or have an expression explained to me, and above that sort of frenetic collision of these grammatical structures, English and Korean, battling it out in my brain, I would hear my mother's voice. And I would see her face and a facial expression and a hand gesture or some kind of movement. And then I'd think, oh, that's what that means. That's what that feels like. I was discovering my mother's tongue. You know, something I realized is that I spend a lot of time talking about my father. Um, usually when I uh, share stories about my growing up experience um, and I talk about um, how he uh, encouraged me to go to seminary, I talk about, um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. He, being the symbol of Asian patriarchy, he encouraged me to go to seminary as a young woman in college. Um, he went to college on his own, he got a BA, an MBA, went on to get his MDiv at Princeton later in life, and then he served in ministry for a number of years. I think I like to think that I'm more like him. Um, he has a, a certain kind of tenacity that I really, really still to this day, it makes me insane, but that I love. But you know, it was my mother that taught me the English alphabet before I went to kindergarten. And it was my mother who taught me all the Korean words for all the foods. That's important. It was my mother that taught me to always ask questions, even if you don't understand, even if you're the only person that doesn't understand what's happening at that moment. It was my mother that taught me language. And so mother tongue. It's not just a language that you grew up speaking from your childhood. It's not grammatical structures. It's not just linguistic systems. It's not just rules and words. It's people. It's emotions. It smells. Yes, language can smell. It's bodies and it's perspectives. I remember during the summer, trying to figure out how to do all these different homework assignments and these tasks around language. And one of the writing activities we had to do um, 
uh, was called dictation. And so our instructor would basically read out loud a few sentences from the textbook, and we would have to write it out. And I'm a terrible speller at both Korean and English. And she would say it at a moderate pace in the beginning, and then she would say it very slowly, word by word. That's usually when I got it. And then she would say it quickly as if a native speaker was saying it. And I remember this sort of flash of realization, thinking about my own three kids who are currently learning how to read and how to write and how to work with these ridiculous linguistic structures we call English. <laughs> Learning English is hard. Learning proper English is even harder. Learning cultural, colloquial English is difficult. The accent, the idioms, the metaphors, the timing. And so I have gone easy on them. I used to get super frustrated with my children about the writing and the reading and the spelling. Um, but now I feel a lot more sympathy with, you know, towards them. Um, when I try to explain things like homonyms, you know, Walking through the door is spelled very differently from I threw a baseball, things like that. So we mix and match, we play and we experiment, we do these rhyming games with both Korean and in English, and we make up words. So in Korean, fried rice is called bokumbap, and uh, it's a regular staple in the house because you can just grab whatever and you can just fry it up with some rice and some eggs, and then you have a meal. Every once in a while, I'll pour a little bit of juice from kimchi, which is that spicy red pickled uh, side dish, and I pour it into the rice, and it turns it orange. And so my daughter has taken to calling it orange bop, which to me sounds way less appealing, but she asks for orange bop all the time. And then there's the casserole that I've been making for my husband, Andy, since we were first married. It's a hamburger casserole that he grew up eating as a child, something that his mother made for him and his grandmother's likely made for him as well. And it literally is just hamburger meat and egg noodles and tomato soup and a lot of cheese. <laughs> and our kids love it. But they've taken to calling it Pittsburgh food, <laughs> which we could spend a lot of time sort of breaking down and parsing out and analyzing, but we won't do that right now. But they, they call it that because they know that Andy grew up eating it, and they know that Andy's family is from Pittsburgh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. We've been there numerous times, and it is definitely a city with disappointing sports teams, but we love them nevertheless. <laughs> and... Calling it Pittsburgh food just means something more to them. And so all this is to say that mother tongue is teaching me something about the capacity we have not only to dictate, i.e. repeat, regurgitate, but to create, to create whole worlds with our words, to create who we are, to create our kinship structures, our families, our communities, who we're connected to, our places. And so mother tongue, it's important, and it's become important to me. 
it's helped me think a little bit more about how I, for instance, read the Bible. And it's, you know, we don't read the Bible a ton in our house. But the stories that we do read, we're realizing, come back to us, and they shape us. And so I've gone often back to the story of the hemorrhaging woman. You might remember in the Gospels, we have this woman who is nameless. She has had an ailment for 12 years. For some reason, she's had this continuous blood loss. She's been ostracized from her community. She's considered impure, untouchable. One day, she happens to see Jesus. And in Jesus, she sees the possibility of her healing. And so she says, if I only but touch his clothes, I will be healed. And so she does. She lets her fingers brush his cloak, and immediately her body is restored to her. And the scriptures tell us immediately, immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and her body was healed of her disease. And I think often about, one, how our bodies are entangled with our language, about how the words that she spoke about the possibility of healing and wholeness, that was what Jesus pointed out. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He spoke freedom back to her. Their interaction was very improper at so many levels. But the more I think about the word proper and proper English and how it's not just about speaking correctly or accurately, I think about what proper is doing and has done in terms of cultivating, disciplining, regulating, shaping proper bodies, proper relationships, proper communities. And what that word does is create borders and boundaries. It says who is in and who is out, who is us and who is them. And you know, Jesus was anything but proper. And so mother tongue teaches me that like anything associated with rules, Rules were meant to be broken. And so that's why we play, and that's why we experiment, and that's why we engage in conversation, in writing, and in communicating in totally different ways. And so these are my words. Mother tongue. Mother's tongue. Mother, as in creator, as in womb, as in world, as in complicated, as in soft and sharp. Like when she would lick her thumb and wipe away the smudge of dirt on my face. Like when she would take a spoonful of the stew that was cooking to make sure that it felt right. Like when she would use her words and they felt like a crack 
a crack of a a wooden ruler across my hands. Like when she would sing in the church choir, her mouth wide open, her tongue working hard to make the sounds, the song. She would sing in Korean. Her first language, her native language, her in utero language, that language of the womb, the noise of words and laughter, the sounds that knit us together, the music that roots us in a particular soil. It enfleshes us, it enfolds us, it emplaces us, and gives us the possibility of discovering whole universes through the building blocks of language. Language, as in language rules, language roles, language categories, language containers. Language defines, language refines, language sometimes constrains, language dictates, language sometimes makes us into a canvas for the nation state, language alienates. When we came to this country, we were aliens. We are perpetually aliens, not only from a different shore, but sometimes looked at as if from a different planet. But mostly we are seen as invisible, unless we're being used to prop up whiteness. Our mother tongue is not heard by you, understood by you, or received by you. But it is my mother tongue. It is the tongue of my mother, my grandmothers, my aunts, my sisters, all our mothers, from Yu Kwansun to Ida B. Wells, to Yuri Kochiyama, to Maya Angelou, all the women who struggle and strive, who live and love. This is the truth. That we are created in the image of the one who loves, gives, speaks in a mother tongue to us. who keeps on showing us and giving to us how we might shape, make, break what it is in front of us so that we might live into a different reality. And strangely and miraculously and wonderfully, the same God who is called I am who I am calls us to that same work, that same work of imagining, of creating, of redeeming, of giving. And so since I began with a quote, I'll end with a quote by our beloved mother, Tony. We die. That may be the meaning of life. But we do language And that might be the measure of our lives. Thank you.
hope you have enjoyed this brief talk. If you have suggestions for future brief talks or big ideas episodes on the Theoed podcast, visit our website at theoed.com, that's T-H-E-O-E-D.com, to submit your suggestions.